You're listening to Case Confirmed, a public health podcast series. Each month, we interview a different expert in the field of public health. Hello to all our listeners. Thanks again for joining in and listening to Case Confirmed. You're here today with Dina and Vegeta. We'll be speaking with Dr. Howard Weiner, who's a practicing neurologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. He's also a neuroscientist and immunologist by profession, as well as a writer and filmmaker, as we'll discover in today's episode. He's also the director and founder of the Partners Healthcare Multiple Sclerosis Center. We'll be interviewing him today on the role of the gut microbiome in health and disease and how the environment of our digestive system is connected to brain disorders. You've been practicing neurology for many years. Uh, we were wondering what got you excited about neurology and what brought you to where you are today and where your current research is and where it's heading. So I've always been interested in the brain and in philosophy. And the brain is the center of our consciousness of who we are. So that's how I became interested in neurology because that's the study of the brain. But I was interested more than just how it works. I was interested in diseases that affect the brain and could we find treatments for them. So that's how I did that. I was a philosophy major in college, so I was interested in the brain and how it thinks about things. And so it all came together. How have you seen it evolve from where you first started to where it is today? So when I, I enjoyed the, the um, challenge of medicine, and trying to help people who are sick. And so then I had to choose, if I was going to go into medicine, I had to choose what field. So because I was interested in the brain, I chose neurology. Uh, Then when I was training, I uh, took care of a young man who had multiple sclerosis, and we didn't have any treatments at that time. So I became fascinated by his story, by the disease. Every disease that you study, you have to use a certain discipline to study it. So... As far as multiple sclerosis is concerned, one of the disciplines is immunology. And another discipline is virology because they thought it could be related to viruses and they think it relates to the immune system. So I love those disciplines. So that that came together that I would uh, do research on the disease. I would see patients who have the disease and I would learn those disciplines to apply it to the um, try to understand the disease. Would you say that over the course of your career, multiple sclerosis or MS has evolved to be the disorder that you're most interested in? So it, it is. I mean, I've spent my whole life doing it. I've been, I've evolved into studying other diseases because I'm interested in the brain. So now we're studying Alzheimer's disease, uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's disease, brain tumors. So I started with multiple sclerosis and now I've gone into other brain diseases. Although I just take care of MS patients. I do research on the other diseases, but I just, my clinical care is just with MS patients. How would you say the landscape of multiple sclerosis treatments has changed since you first became a physician to where it's at now? So it's really changed dramatically. If you look at the other diseases, a lot of these diseases, the treatments aren't any better. Someone who gets a glioblastoma lives about the same. There's no treatment for Alzheimer's disease. When I started with MS, there was no treatment, and we helped to develop some of the treatments. Now, we have good treatments for the disease, especially the relapsing forms of the disease. 
So I just saw a young uh, man who's a uh, medical student. He just came down with MS. And years ago, if I were to sit with him, we wouldn't know what was going to happen to him. But I could tell him that there's a very good chance that he will live a normal life and he'll be able to do his career, have his family. Uh, he'll need treatment, but it's very exciting. There have been many, many great progresses in MS. So I think we know the cause. It's an autoimmune disease, so the immune system attacks the brain and spinal cord. And I think we know that because the treatments we use shut down that process. So we know it's an autoimmune disease. In a lot of your current research, as I've been reading, you have shown that a lot of brain disorders are linked to the gut microbiome. And so we wanted to start off our conversation regarding that aspect and trying to understand the differences between good bacteria and bad bacteria. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of what the differences are? So the microbiome refers to all the trillions of bacteria we have in our gut. And we now know that that's a very important part of the immune system. And we've done studies where we're looking at the gut microbiome in patients with MS. And depending on what's going on in the gut, it can affect the disease. So we know that that's very important. So that does mean that there are good and bad bacteria, but it's very complex because there's so many bacteria. So we're really at the beginning stage. And uh, we used to collect only blood samples on our MS patients. Now we actually are beginning to collect stool samples on our MS patients to analyze it, to see what it looks like. So then everybody asked me, I saw my MS patients, what should I take? Should I take a probiotic? Is this good or that bad? So we don't know. We don't know what's exactly good or what's exactly bad. We recommend that our patients have a healthy diet. Uh, what does that mean? Um, the Mediterranean diet is very good. Things One day, one day we'll probably know what are the good or bad bacteria, and then we can prescribe them for our patients. So I'm curious to know, like, what... What exactly, or as far as you know so far, what is the mechanism? What is the connection between the gut and um, the brain? So there's a number of connections between the gut and the brain. So first of all, the gut and the brain are connected by nerves. So the gut can do things to nerves. We kind of know that intuitively because sometimes you get nervous and you feel it in your gut, right? So the nervousness doesn't come from your gut. It comes from the brain. It's, it's going into the gut. The bacteria in the gut... Uh, secrete a lot of factors, a lot of metabolites and other substances that can go from the gut to the brain. That's so cool. <laughs> and so do you feel that people's lifestyles in general affect this interplay to a great degree between the gut and the brain, such as salt intake or um, vitamin D levels, the environment around us? So I think it all plays an important role. It's environment, it's vitamin D, it's what you eat, it's stress, it's where you live. The gut is one of the major organs of the body, and we actually know that it relates to a lot of diseases. Like, I'll give you examples. Certain cancer chemotherapies work depending on what's going on in the gut. When a child is born and goes through the birth canal, the micro, the things in the birth canal from the mother colonize the gut and help the child. And actually, if a child is born by cesarean section, 
and they don't have all that material from the birth canal, when they get older, they can have more allergy or asthma. So there's all these interesting connections. I know the research is being done currently, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Do you believe that there are any potential vaccinations that could be created to give adults, say, with multiple sclerosis or other brain disorders, certain vaccinations that would help reverse some of their symptoms? I think so, and it depends on what you talk about vaccination. But if you talk about the gut, I think that and we're going to try where you can manipulate the gut and it could affect the brain. So I think the answer is yes. And when we're talking about brain disorders and the link between brain disorders and the gut, does um, this connection also extend to psychiatric disorders like depression, anxiety? So I think the answer is yes. Psychiatric disorders and anxiety are more complex because there are different things going on in the brain. But I think there's definite connections. Would you say that the gut microbiome has shown to be linked towards things such as depression or relative happiness on a day-to-day -day basis? So that's harder to, I mean, happiness is very complex in, or depression, but I think that they uh, do relate. I think they do relate. We don't know how. Do you know where the current research is headed or what type of studies are being done in order to quantify this type of, these type of questions? So the way the research is done is that you study the microbiome, you isolate a particular bacteria, find out what it does, find out what substances it secretes and how they affect the brain. That's, that's how you do it. And then if you want to manipulate it, you take uh, transfer microbiome or transfer specific bacteria and see how the brain is affected. So just to make sure I'm understanding this connection, like is it that the brain disorder is affecting the landscape of the micro, of like the gut flora, or is it that like the gut flora, because of some imbalance there, is causing the brain disorder? It's a two-way. It depends on the disorder. It depends on the disorder. Sometimes the gut may start something. Sometimes the brain may start something, but they they go back and forth. Gotcha. So, so they feed just, off each other. Exactly. Would you say that you've seen specific patients of yours reverse in severity after giving them a certain treatment that's related to their microbiome? So we, the answer is we can't say that. The answer is no. We've actually did a study where we gave probiotics to some patients and we affected the gut in a certain way. But to say that we've seen a clinical response, it's too early, too early for that. And so there must be some clinical trials potentially going on now? So the answer is yes, there's uh, there's some trials that you know go on. Also, you want to see whether patients who get a certain treatment for MS, it could work through the gut. It could affect the gut, and then the gut could do something. So we'll have to stay on the lookout then for the conclusions of that research. Speaking of probiotics, so something we like to do on the show is kind of give listeners like practical tips that um, you know fall within our the speaker's like area of expertise. When it comes to, I guess, like buying probiotics, yogurts, all these things that are constantly advertised to us, I don't know. How do you, do you have any advice for how you can tell what's a good probiotic, what's a bad probiotic? Um, so it's not, we don't know. I mean, there's so many probiotics and my patients always ask the question, should I take this probiotic? Should I take that probiotic? So 
we don't have an answer. We don't know. So most of the probiotics are good. I mean, they have um, uh, good bacteria in them. Whether they will actually help you or not, I don't know. One thing that we recommend to all our patients actually is to take vitamin D. Vitamin D is very important, and that can affect the gut as well. So that we recommend for all our patients, and that may be a way that you're uh, affecting the gut. And how would you say vitamin D affects the gut from a technical perspective? Well, the um, you know vitamins work. The word vitamin is, comes from life, right? Vita is life, okay? So that it re, it reacts with receptors. It reacts with the receptors on the cells. Uh, that can react with the bacteria and um, then affect the microbiome. Speaking of receptors and science in a little bit more detail, we see that a lot of the research that is currently being done, especially with MS, um, involves these molecules called microRNAs. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of what microRNAs are and how they regulate certain functions in the body and how that potentially leads to progression or protection for MS? So the immune system is very complex and it's you could think of it as a machine that does all these different things maybe there's a hundred parts to it 200 parts to it okay and it evolved the immune system evolved to fight off infection and so it has all these different regulatory factors and one of the regulatory factors are microRNAs we discovered them not not in our laboratory as scientists we discovered them and the microRNAs are a small RNA and it affects cell function and it can affect cell function as far as the immune system is concerned. And we found that certain microRNAs are increased or decreased in MS. So they're an important regulator. Would you say that all the microRNAs that you've found thus far are protective in nature? No, there's good and bad ones. Good and bad ones. Yeah. Would you say that they're more good ones or more bad ones? No, because remember, in terms of biology, things aren't necessarily good or bad. They go in different directions at different times. So Depending that, on the environment. Exactly. So when you're cold, you shiver to increase it. And when you're hot, you sweat, right? Exactly. So do you say sweating is good and shivering is bad? No, it just depends on the situation. So you have good or bad microRNAs. I like that analogy. <laughs> Oh, and switching gears a little bit, um, so in addition to being a physician and a researcher, you are also a filmmaker. Could you tell us a little bit about of how you got into filmmaking? Was it something you were always interested in? So the answer is yes, I was always interested in filmmaking. When I was in medical school, I made music videos of Beatles songs. Wow. What's your favorite song? What? Well, the two songs, the songs I made, one was... Um, uh, Run for Your Life, you know that song? I Run do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I made a video of that. I made another video of Hide Your Love Away uh, with my medical school classmates. So, Do you I, still have those? Are those up on YouTube somewhere? I have them. I could put them up, I think. Um, That's how we saw your What Is Life documentary on YouTube. Yeah, so the I should put these up. So these are, um, so that's how I got interested. But I love medicine more than becoming a filmmaker. But I always had the interest in that and um, 
So the first films I made were these music videos. Some people say I was very much of a pioneer. People weren't making music videos at that time, and I was making music videos. Before MTV, it was Before Dr. M- Howard, Howard Weiner. <laughs> yeah. And then I... Uh, what the, materials did you use? I'm curious. How I made the movie? Exactly. I used a Super 8 camera, and you'd have the film, and you cut the film, and you spliced it together. You know, they talk about cut and paste. Well, that's where it came from. You had a the film, and you looked at it through a thing, and you cut it, and you pasted it together. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I've yeah. never heard of anyone talk about filmmaking in that Yeah, respect. I know. That's really cool. And then the, the next film I made is called What is Life? The Movie, which combines my interest in movies and also in um, philosophy. And here I have all the big questions that don't have any answers. You know, in science, we try to answer many questions, but there's some questions that you can't answer scientifically, so you have to approach them in a different way. You know, is there a God? Why is there evil? Is there a soul? All the big, giant questions. So then I made this movie. It took me about five years. I interviewed... What I used to do is when I went to a scientific conference, I would hire a film crew and film and record people, and then... I had to edit it all together. And uh, I think it came out nicely. It won some Los Angeles Film Awards. And um, I was very happy with that. And then the next movie I made was really more uh, ambitious. It was actually a Hollywood movie that I, I had written a script and that dealt with old people. And it's called, uh, the movie ultimately is called Abe and Phil's Last Poker Game. And I was talking to a a film director at um, Emerson College. And I told him that I had written the script that I wanted to direct a movie. And he said to me, yes, and I want to do brain surgery. It's it's the truth. That's what he said. And I said, well, you, will you read my script? He says, sure, but I'm not your mother. I generally don't read a lot of scripts, etc." So he said, I only read 10 pages, you know. So then I got a call from him. He said, you know, I read your whole script. It's really great. And then he had some recommendations on it. Then we found some financing for it. And then you get a uh, casting agent who shows it to actors. And two very famous actors love the script. One is Martin Lando, who's an Academy Award-winning actor. And he played the major role of a doctor in the movie. And another is Paul Sorvino, who was in Goodfellas. And he loved the movie. He loved the script. So we made the movie... It came out very nicely. It was actually accepted at Tribeca Film Festival, which is very hard. I was there. I talked to Robert De Niro and these other people, and they said, you know, it's harder to get a film in Tribeca than to get accepted to Harvard. I was very happy, and the film is on. It, it was in theaters for a while. Now it's on um, iTunes or Amazon. You can you can watch it, or you can watch the trailer. Fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. Um, Vijayth and I have both watched What is Life, and right. we highly recommend that to all of our listeners. You can find it on YouTube. Definitely. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. How do you find time to balance being a physician, a researcher, a filmmaker? Do you have any a philosopher? Orga- yeah, philosopher. Do you have any organization tips for us, us foolish well, mortals? <laughs> so I always get I always get asked that question, and I don't know exactly how to answer it. But I think that if you have a passion for things, you do it. Uh, So I do have a passion. I have a lot of energy, which I got from my mother. She was very energetic. Um, 
I'm very efficient in what I do. Uh, it doesn't take me long to do things. So I think that all those things coming together have given me the opportunity and the joy to be able to do the things I want to do. Something I'm curious about, do, do you find that other neurologists have this inclination to be interested in kind of like the bigger questions, like you said, consciousness, the soul? Since you mentioned that's what drew you to neurology in the first place was your background in philosophy, do you find that that is a trend or not so much? Uh, you know, there are people, uh, Oliver Sacks is a famous neurologist who uh, wrote about these things. So I wouldn't, I would say perhaps, I wouldn't say it's a giant trend, mm -hmm. but. Uh, and then on the flip side, did you get any criticisms, people looking at you like, why is he doing this? Why is he investing so much time in this? So I don't think, well, sometimes when I was, you know, my film would be shown or people from, um. So when I made the film, you know, you don't know how it's going to come out. And then some people in Hollywood saw it and they said, oh, my God, this is it. So I met this guy and he said, all right, I'll have some people at my studio watch it. And one of the people said, well, the head of the studio said, watch this film. It's by this doctor. I mean, it can't be very good, you know, but I'll watch it. And so then when she said, oh, my God, I started watching it. It's really a great film. And then I was talking to them and everything. And they, and they all said to me, you know, don't we hope you're not going to stop doing your medicine. You know, this isn't as important. So people in the industry have said that to me, that uh, what, you know, the medicine and all that is very important and they don't want me to stop doing it and I don't plan to stop doing it. Uh, so, How did you respond to them? I tell them I'm not stopping. I tell them I'm not stopping. And so they like that. Yeah. Do you have any words of wisdom for young physicians in training that may be going through some of these experiences in life where they feel like they want to do both medicine and this other thing, whatever that other thing is? What would you tell them? Tell them. So medicine really is all-encompassing. So, I mean, think if you really want to do medicine, you want to do it well, you've got to do it, Okay. Then if you have other passions, you should do them as best you can, whether maybe it's music, maybe it's sports or whatever, but you you have to stick with the medicine. It's too interesting. Something I'm curious about, uh, do you think neurology as a science will ever get to a place where we can fully, surely either map out consciousness in the brain um, or a soul, some people like to call it? Um, do you think the science will ever get to a place where we can fully prove or disprove the existence of that? I understand. So consciousness is really a tough problem. It's very complex. It involves so many things. I don't think we're going to get to it so quickly. Whether we'll ever get to it, I don't know. If you look at um, some philosophers and some scientists and everything, and they talk about the computing power, and they say... It's theoretically possible that one day when we can understand that we can download all of our connections and everything from our brain into a computer, okay? And that you can actually download your consciousness. So that's science fiction. Whether that could ever happen, I don't know. Now, we know that computers can do certain things. We know that. So computers now, for example, we didn't think it was possible, can understand voices. Not perfect. They can talk to you. They can answer you. Um, it, computers can do some things better. Searches, right? You can search all kinds of things. Uh, 
our brains can't do it that fast as, as a computer can. So this gets artificial intelligence and can you program a computer to do that now? It depends on what you're doing. Computers can play chess better than a person. Uh, what was the show Jeopardy? The computer did better than the other person on Jeopardy. But there was the, one person that ended up beating the computer, the, the computer right? Yeah. I think. But the consciousness is a different... It's tough. I don't know whether we'll ever do it, but some science fiction says, you know, do you want to live? Could you live forever? Okay. So one person wrote that one day, you know, whether this could ever happen or not, it will download your consciousness. And then if it goes into a computer somewhere, it could be somewhere forever. You know what I mean? Now, is that really a person? And will you really be able to do it? I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Now, in the arts, people have approached that. Um, I think, and there's movies. There's movies about that, about robots or yeah. things like that. There was this one movie, I think, is it called Her? I don't know what the... Yes. Uh-huh. Where, I didn't watch that one. Mm-hmm. Where a man falls in love with a, a computer. Yeah, I think it's Walking Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A man falls in love with a um, a woman who's a computer. Yeah, so that's... A, and then there was another one... I'm blocking on the other one where uh, where there's a, a female robot that... Uh, yeah, what's coming up for me, I'm a big uh, fan of the show on HBO called Westworld. Oh, yes, exactly. Which is basically all about what we um, just talked about. Um, do you think it's a good idea for us to try to transmit consciousness and... So that that's a judgment. There's no question we're going to try and do it. So then you question, then you say, is it a good idea? Yeah. Do you think it's responsible? So I think that I think that we have to uh, follow our curiosity and follow what we want to do. So in that sense, I think it's good. Would I say you can't do it? I don't. I don't think you could say that. Now, but then that gets into all these moral questions about. Genetics, can you, with the new genetic thing, could you uh, uh, alter an embryo so it's smarter or not so smart? Are you allowed to do that? So we would say no. I don't think that's a good idea. I think if there's a genetic defect, you could probably do something. But then we have classic uh, science fiction. I mean, Brave New World, where they uh, make people the way they want to and Everyone is basically... Look how that turned out. (laughs) That's correct. So I don't think it's going to happen so quickly, and in the end, I don't think it's good. Yeah, I think think in general with technology is, yes, we are trying to solve these problems that humans and society faces, but with every technological solution I think we've seen, it creates maybe five new problems that we had never anticipated, so then we are just constantly trying to tech our way out of problems and... You know, what's the limit, I guess? Yep. Yep. Do you believe that we as humans have a moral obligation to to society? Yeah, I think our obligation, our, our obligation is to make the world better. That's our obligation. So I think the answer is yes, we have to make the world better. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah, same. I wanted to go back to your What is Life documentary and talk a little bit about the philosophy that you raised in that specific documentary. You asked a lot of people around the world that 
our body is this physical entity and our soul is this spiritual entity. And there is a connection between the two. And a lot of people answered in that documentary. I wanted to get your thoughts today on where you feel that connection happens. So it's a very difficult question. And, the, and some of these big philosophical questions don't really have answers, okay? And if our consciousness is physical, with all the biochemistry things and everything, and our soul or whatever it is is spiritual, then the question is how does something that's spiritual communicate with something that's physical? And I don't know how that happens, okay? Um, then you would say, so this is dualism. Descartes and other people talk about dualism, that there's two parts to the brain, that, and it's hard to understand how that happens, okay? Um, now, we have to admit that there's all these things we don't know. And there's all these forces, physical and other, that we can't understand, okay? So we're sitting in this room, and there's radio waves coming in. And if you turn on the radio here, you'll hear the music or whatever. But where, I mean, how, where is that? You know, I mean, we can't feel it. We can't see it. So it's theoretically possible there are things that we don't understand, that we can't feel, that we can't experience, uh, that are part of our environment. There's, I don't think there's an answer to the soul question. Um, I think that the soul is more the unique personality that everybody has. It comes from the physical, and it's so complex that it kind of exists on its own. I think it's almost better that these questions are unanswerable. Like if we had answers for all of these things that have been talked about and discussed for thousands and thousands of years, I don't know, life would be really boring if we knew definitively <laughs> that there was a soul. Yeah, or God, or what happens after death, all those big things. I think it's better to not know. What if you were able to weigh the soul after a person passes away? Well, there was a, a movie, and I hear we get into all these movies... 21 grams or something. Yes, um, yes. That I also a, have not uh -huh. watched this movie. <laughs> that a movie should, that the soul, but if you could really weigh the soul, I mean, if somebody, let's say there's a soul, so now bring it as a scientist, okay? So let's say that we believe that in order to, uh, uh, to walk, you have to have bones, okay? So someone dies, we can take out the bones and we can look at them, right? So if you want to say that a person has a soul, can you and someone die, where does the soul go? Can you capture it and weigh it or do something with it? So that's an experiment. And um, if you can, then that's a proof of a soul. But that's tough. I feel like it would have to be the moment right after a person passes away. And so that's an interesting concept that I've always thought about. Well, there, you know, when you talk about these questions, you can get ideas from movies, right? So that someone figures out a way when someone dies to get the soul and then put it into another person or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think it's really cool how in this conversation we've talked about just the range of like the smallest thing you can think of being bacteria in the gut to like the biggest things you can think of being like the universe and God and, <laughs> and what is life. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, thank you so much. This was like a really informative, really interesting interview. I mean, all of our interviews are interesting, but this was 
particularly engaging, at least for me. I don't know. I love talking about this stuff. So, so uh, <laughs> we're very excited to watch your new documentary, Avon Phil's Last Poker Game. It's not a documentary. It's, it's fiction. A film. Sorry, yeah. it's a film. A yes, fiction. we will link to it. Um, in when we release this episode, we'll link yeah, to it. People, in iTunes. people like it. I, I showed it, and this one per- woman got up and she was crying after she saw it. Wow! And wow! She said, uh, "Thank you so much for making the film, etc." So that makes me feel good when I did it. Of course. And so, if I had to give your listeners and you and me advice about life, so number one, you need to enjoy life. Need to enjoy life. Number two, life has its challenges. So don't be surprised when you have a challenge. Challenges always make you stronger when you come through them. Uh, You need to go for your dreams, which is very important, and follow your curiosity. So that's that's how I live my life. And and then uh, when you have your families, uh, that becomes the most important to look after your, your family. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Weiner. We really appreciate everything we've talked about today. Thank you so much. Okay, my pleasure.